Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. You may be seated. Uh, it's a real privilege for me to speak today. Uh, Judy and I have been part of this church for a long time, since we were about 18, and that's a long time. <laughs> you know what I'd like to do is have our staff stand up. Uh, this is the first time uh, I've spoken on Sunday, and I had no idea how many people it takes to put together a service on Sunday morning. I mean, I knew, kind of. But I just want to have Ricky and Joe and Todd, all of our pastors stand up. Is Tom here today? He's preaching, oh, he's preaching in another church. So, and Vince, and, and then all the sound team, if you guys could stand up, and the worship team. Come on, guys. If you're, if you're on the worship team, stand up. And then, and where's the rest of our staff? Becky and, listen, Becky Gale really runs this church, just to let you guys know. She, Becky's back here. For uh, so all you guys, thank you so much. I don't see John. Where's John Berger? He's upstairs. Wherever John is. And Neil, all you guys, thank you so much for serving this church. You guys are amazing. Yes. So this morning, we're going to look at this amazing story of, of really two people, Jesus and Bartimaeus. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the crowd that was around Jesus. But two people, Jesus and Bartimaeus. So let's talk just a little bit. Last Sunday, Ricky was in the same chapter, Mark chapter 10. And this is where Jesus for the third time talks to his disciples about the fact that he is going to Jerusalem to die. So the third time that he's talked to them, and he actually talks about a fourth time right at the end of the passage that Ricky used last week when he said, the Son of Man doesn't come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So at least four times Jesus talks about the fact that he's going to die. But his guys, his disciples don't hear that. They don't understand that. All they know is that Jesus is performing miracles, amazing teachings, and then he's going to set up his kingdom. 
and they wanna be a part of that. And James and John and their mother have the boldness to come and ask Jesus if James and John can sit on his right and left hand. And Jesus amazingly doesn't rebuke them. He just gently but firmly tells them that that's not his to grant, which is an interesting statement. But he says, instead of responding to them, he asks them, are you able to drink of the cup and partake of the baptism that I am going to partake of? And they very confidently say, yes, we can do that. And he says, yes, you will partake of the cup and the baptism, talking about his suffering and his death. And James and John, James was martyred, Acts chapter 12, John was exiled. Ingrid, I didn't see you, stand up, Ingrid. Stand up, I didn't see you, stand up, Ingrid. And I, and I had the staff stand, I'm looking around for Ingrid and you know, she's right there. Thank you, Ingrid, we love you. Where was I? I saw Ingrid and now I've forgotten everything I was gonna say. James and John, so they're asking, Jesus says, you will partake. James is martyred in Acts chapter 12. John is exiled to the island of Patmos at the end of his life. Most, if not all of the 12 disciples are martyred. So Jesus, is not looking for someone to come and take a place of honor and glory. He's looking for people to serve and he teaches his disciples right there in verses 44 and 45 that the greatest in his kingdom will be the one who serves all. So as we approach this passage with Bartimaeus, we see Jesus actually giving us a firsthand immediate example of serving. Jesus is going to serve this man, Bartimaeus. So I'd like you to stand up and we're gonna do the main point and our three points a little bit different this morning. So I'd like you to stand up and I'd like you to look at the, at the main idea this morning. The main idea is that Jesus serves in particular this man, by extending grace and mercy to those in need, especially those who are overlooked and forgotten. And the three main points, and I'm not going to be referring to these main points, I just want you to kind of get these in your heart, but these would be the three main points and they're all about Jesus, all right? The first one is, who is Jesus? He is the son of David. He is the Messiah. He is the savior. What is Jesus like? He is our savior who has incredible character and passion for his people. He loves and cares. And how does he do it? One at a time, one person at a time. And what does Jesus do? He is our savior who saves and has power to heal and restore. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we move through this amazing story, of Jesus and this man named Bartimaeus. Lord, that you would be here by your spirit. And Lord, you would touch each heart in this room. Lord, draw each one of us closer to you. Reveal more of yourself to us by your spirit. Lord, equip us more to be the men and women that you've called us to be as part of your church. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. You may be seated. So let's take a look. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. I'm going to go through this like verse by verse or little section at a time as we move through here. So let's look at the first couple of verses, starting in verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. So let's just stop right there. So Jericho, very interesting town. It's the oldest existing inhabited town on the face of the earth today. The history of Jericho goes back four or 5,000 years or more. It's actually the lowest point geographically where people live on the face of the earth. 824 feet below sea level. It's in an oasis. It's a very fertile area. At the time that Jesus was alive walking on the face of the earth, the Herodians had rebuilt Jericho. So it was a beautiful town. It was flourishing. So this is the town. It's on the road to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so he was on his way to Jerusalem, knowing what laid ahead for him. So as we read this, he is coming to Jericho and then he's coming out of Jericho. And the verse here says that there's a great crowd following Jesus. Well, this was probably two weeks more or less before the annual Passover feast and Jews from all over the country were making their way to Jerusalem. So not only was there this large crowd around Jesus, but there are other people coming along the road to Jericho, making their way to Jerusalem. It was very common in that day for rabbis to have their guys that follow them travel with them on the road. So it was not uncommon for someone like Jesus to have a group following him. However, Jesus was not just your everyday rabbi. He was someone special. He had been ministering now for three years. Word about him had spread. People knew that something special was going on. There was a teacher, there was a prophet sent from the Lord that was different than others. So people were gathering to him. So this crowd around Jesus was excited. They were looking forward to being with him. So that's the crowd that we read about right here. So let's continue on. And they came to Jericho. He was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So here is this man named Bartimaeus. In Matthew's account of this, Matthew doesn't name Bartimaeus. In fact, he says there were two beggars that were sitting by the roadside. But Mark picks out this one beggar and gives us his name, Bartimaeus. Church history says that perhaps Mark does this because Bartimaeus has a special meeting with the Lord and something that we'll talk about a little bit later in the message as far as what happens to Bartimaeus afterwards. But Mark, in conjunction with the Apostle Peter, who collaborated with Mark on this gospel, names this man Bartimaeus. Bar meaning son of, Timaeus is his father. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. We know that about him. We know that he's blind. We know that he's poor. He can't work because he's blind. So what does he do for a living? He begs. 
He wakes up early every morning. Someone leads him out outside the city gates. He spreads his cloak out and people toss coins at him. That's his life. Imagine that. He's a forgotten, overlooked individual. Close your eyes. Just everybody close your eyes. So if I asked you with your eyes shut to come up here and sit on the steps, could you do that? With your eyes shut? Someone would have to help you. Keep your eyes shut. This is Bartimaeus' life. Darkness. Just listening and hearing. Okay, you can open your eyes again. Bartimaeus wakes up, it's a normal day for him. He gets his cloak, he eats a little bit of breakfast and he's led out to his spot outside the gates. Spreads his cloak down, starts begging. As he's doing that, he starts to hear something. There's some commotion on the road. Maybe some children running ahead of this crowd. He asks the question, what's going on? Someone might say to him, it's Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. We don't know when Bartimaeus found out about Jesus, but when he was told it was Jesus, his mind went into gear. He knew he'd either heard about Jesus before, Jesus had been ministering, he had heard about Jesus, or maybe he just heard about him that morning. Maybe someone came up and said, it's Jesus of Nazareth, the one who heals the lame, the one who heals the blind. Bartimaeus, it's Jesus. Anyway, his interest is perked, and look what he says. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And listen to this. And many rebuked him. This crowd rebuked him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's not a natural thing to equate Jesus. It's natural for us. But it's not a natural thing to equate Jesus with son of David. Jesus is who Jesus was. That was his name. He was from Nazareth. But there were a lot of prophets. There might have been Simeon from, from Bethany. There might have been Judah from another town. This was Jesus of Nazareth. But Bartimaeus knew something. We don't know when he knew it, but in his heart, he was believing that Jesus was the son of David. Who is the son of David? Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7 and see where this term son of David originated. What does that mean, son of David? It's one of the terms for Jesus. It's one of the terms for the Messiah. 2 Samuel chapter seven. This is the covenant that the Lord made with King David. Verse 11, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, talking to David, a house of generations. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. So this part of the prophecy took place with David's son Solomon, who rose up after David and built a temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. He shall build a house for my name, which Solomon did. But listen to the rest of this. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So that part of the prophecy changed the nature of the prophecy. It wasn't just 
what God was gonna do through Solomon, something was gonna happen where David's throne would be established forever. Verse 14, I will be to him a father and to him, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, so this is talking about Solomon, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And then look at verse 16. So all that was about Solomon, but look at 16. And your house, talking to David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So the Lord through Nathan is prophesying to David that, he, that through his line, he is going to establish not only a kingdom in Israel, but a kingdom that will last forever. So generation after generation after generation after generation, this was spoken a thousand years before Jesus was born. But each generation, each generation of Jewish young people were looking forward to the Messiah, to this person who would establish his kingdom forever. That word forever meant that this was not gonna be just an earthly king, but a godly king, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. So generation after generation, Jewish young people around their home, as they would study the word, they would talk about the Messiah who would be coming. And one of the names for the Messiah came to be son of David. Bartimaeus knew that. So he's calling out Jesus, son of David. Take a look at a couple more scriptures. Matthew 12, a couple more places where this term is used, this title. Matthew 12, verse 22, then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and Jesus healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, look what they asked, can this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? This person, Jesus is healing people. Could it be the son of David? The anticipation, could this be the son of David? Look at Matthew 15. Here's a Canaanite woman, a Gentile, not even a Jewish person. But listen to what she says. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew from the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, very similar to what Bartimaeus cried. Have mercy on me, O Lord, O Lord, recognizing that Jesus was God, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Jesus delivers that little girl from this demon and she is saved. She is saved from this terrible oppression. But even this Canaanite woman somehow knew that Jesus must be the son of David, the Messiah. So that's what Bartimaeus, that's in Bartimaeus' heart. People have told him it's Jesus of Nazareth. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd says, be quiet. You're a nobody. Be quiet, don't bother him. But Bartimaeus wouldn't be silenced. He cries out again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now let's look at the next verses. Verse 49 and Jesus stopped and said, call him. 
And they called the blind man saying to him, so now the crowd changes its tune a bit. They're not saying be quiet. Jesus had said, call him. So now the crowd changes and says, take heart to Bartimaeus. Get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. I mean, just a word of advice, don't follow the crowd. One day the crowd's for you, the next day the crowd's against you. Know what you believe in your heart about Jesus and follow him wholeheartedly. Don't follow the crowd at work. Don't follow your friends unless they're following Jesus. Don't follow the crowd. The crowd's a fickle thing. But thankfully, this crowd turned from discouraging Bartimaeus to encouraging him. Take heart, Bartimaeus. He's calling you. When Ricky asked me to speak on this passage, I read through it the first time. And this is the passage. This are, these are the words that just jumped out at me. Jesus stopped. I mean, think about this. Jesus had set his heart to go to Jerusalem. He's surrounded by this crowd. One commentator said the crowd was like an ovation. They were probably calling out, hallelujah. We know that when they got to Jerusalem, they were crying out, Hosanna. That's when they put down the palm trees and it was a festival of entrance for the Messiah to come. They thought Jesus was gonna overcome the Romans and set up his kingdom, this kingdom that we read about in 2 Samuel, but that wasn't his plan. He was going to Jerusalem to die. So this crowd was filled with excited people. We also know there were people that were enemies of Jesus. The Pharisees had been plotting to take him, to capture him, to take him away. So this crowd was a mix of people. Jesus was in the middle of it. What was going through Jesus' mind? I'm sure there was a sense of anticipation, but we know there was also a sense of deep sorrow. When Jesus got to Jerusalem, he wept over the city. He knew that this city, his people would be rejecting him. He knew that betrayal, arrest, torture, and a terrible death awaited him. So there had to be a sadness in his heart as he's marching on this road, as he's walking towards Jerusalem. And as he's walking, he hears from someplace in the distance, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. The Savior stopped and turned. Let me ask you, do you remember when Jesus stopped for you individually? When he stopped and turned his attention, his affection on you and, and called you? I remember, I was 18. If, if you're like between 16 and 25, could you stand up? If you're in that age group, 16 to 25, just, or you know, 15 or 12. You know, if you're between 10 and 25, stand up. More, so, okay, so I was where you're at right now. So I want you all, I want everyone in here to look at this crowd that's standing. Statistics show that the decisions you make where you are at in your life now will affect you for the rest of your life. Thank you for standing, you can sit down. 
So I was your age. I was 18. I was playing church. I had been in church every Sunday of my life, just about. My parents had us memorize Bible verses every morning before we went to school from the time we were like five years old. We had family devotions every night. We were in church Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Whenever there was something going on at church, we were there. And I was really good at playing church because I didn't want to get in trouble with my folks. So I did everything I was supposed to do. Billy Graham came to El Paso when I was like 12 or 13, someplace in, in that time period. He had a crusade out here at Kid Field. The Sun Bowl hadn't been built yet. His crusade was at Kid Field, which is now the track arena for UTEP. I can remember on my own going forward and giving my heart to the Lord, but I wasn't converted. It didn't change. I mean, the spirit was moving in my heart. No one made me go forward. I went forward. I knew I was a sinner. There was another time at a camp meeting outside of Fort Davis where one of Billy Graham's associates was preaching and I went forward there as well. I was probably 14 or 15 years old. Lord was moving on my heart, but it didn't change me. When I got to high school, I partied a lot. So I was going, but I was still playing the game. I was still going to church on Sunday. I was getting involved in stuff at church, but I was also involved in all kinds of stuff on the other days of the week, two separate lives. In my heart, my mom was really big on Bible prophecy. And so she taught us about the second coming. She taught us about the rapture. She taught us about the tribulation. I believed all that in my heart. I was saying, Lord, when I get old, when I get about 30, <laughs> that's, this is really what I was saying in my heart. I said, when I get old, then I'll get serious, but I'm having too much fun now. And so I continued to party and just live for myself, knowing the whole time that I was living two lives. But in my mind, I knew that when I got to be 30, that I would get serious about God because I believed it all. I believed everything I'd been taught. Judy and I met when we were 17 or 18 at Burgess. And Judy started going to church with me. Her, her family was going to another church. And she started going to church with me. So she started playing the same game. So she'd come to church and play the church game. And then during the week, we'd do whatever we were doing with our friends. We drank a lot. We fought a lot. Our crowd fought a lot. I wasn't much of a fighter. I was more of a peacemaker. But my that's what we did. We fought and we drank. We fought with kids from Eastwood. Judy and I went to Burgess, the high school that all of you wish you went to. <laughs> but that was our scene. A year after we graduated, we graduated in 1970, and, and drinking was the main thing. A year later, everybody was smoking dope. Changed in one year. But what we did is we drank and we fought. Judy and I were playing the game so well that a pastor from a little church in the valley, Brother Rosales, he was gonna have an outdoor evangelistic crusade. And he asked, Judy and I were going down to First Baptist and he came to First Baptist and he recruited some of the youth to help him in an outdoor crusade. 
So he, he recruited us. And I don't even remember what we did. We like led worship or something. We were just part of the team. After the service, he had invited some guys from a Baptist Bible school to come in and preach. So these young guys preached. And then afterwards, we went to Elmer's Coffee House on Montana, and we just talked about the service. And somehow the, the, the discussion came around to end-time prophecy. And I'd been taught by my mom one thing, pre-trib, pre-millennial, rapture, seven years of tribulation, a thousand-year reign of Christ. I knew my stuff, 18 years old. These guys from Bible school believe something different. I didn't even know at that point in my life that there were different views of the end times. I just knew what I'd been taught and I thought everybody believed that. But these guys believe something else. And I couldn't believe that these guys from Bible school believe something else than what was in the word. And that was my thinking. <laughs> so that night I went home and for the first time in my life, we just lived like two miles away from here in this neighborhood right over here off of Chelsea right where the planes come in and land. You know, every day there were jets flying over. Well, maybe they weren't even jets back then, prop planes flying over. And that was just part of our life. I loved to see those planes come over. When I was four years old, a plane crashed in our neighborhood. There wasn't anything between Timberwolf and Montana at that point, it was just all desert. And a guy was flying in, an army guy was flying in on a dusty night and he thought the lights on Montana were the runway. And when he realized that it wasn't the runway, it was too late and he crashed right in our neighborhood. I can remember when I was four years old, looking out my window and seeing this plane in flames down at the end of our block. We've got pictures of engine parts, plane parts all over the neighborhood. So that night I come home and I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, I can't believe these guys believe something that wasn't in the Bible. So for the first time in my life, I opened the Bible on my own and started reading. I mean, I'd been reading the Bible my whole life, memorizing scripture, but I'd never opened it on my own. So I start reading in Matthew 24, which is the area where we were talking about. And for some reason, I read into Matthew 25, where Jesus says, my second coming will be like this. It's like the man who leaves his property in charge of a servant and goes away. And that servant says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. And I'm just reading. And the Lord starts speaking to me. He says, this is you. You're saying in your heart, Lord, delay your coming. And that's what I, because I believe Jesus was coming back. I just wanted him to come back after I was 30. So I'm reading and it says, Jesus says, but the Lord of that evil servant, will, evil servant will come back in a day when he doesn't know and will find him drinking and fighting with his fellow servants. And the Lord of that servant will set him apart with the hypocrites and there will be great weeping and gnashing of teeth. I knew what that meant. The Lord spoke to me and said this, if one of the planes that comes over your house every day crashes and you die, you're going to hell because you don't know me. I was out of my bed, on my knees, repenting of my sins, 
giving my life to Jesus, I woke up the next morning a totally different person. Jesus stopped for me that night. And he called me. He didn't ask me if I wanted to give my life to him. He ripped my heart open and forcibly brought me into his kingdom. So I want you to remember when Jesus stopped for you. This is what happened to Bartimaeus. Jesus stopped and came to him. And he says to Bartimaeus, what would you have me to do? And Bartimaeus says, that I might see. The same question he asked to James and John, what would we have what would you have me to do? They asked for position. Is that quote up there? Where's that, where's that quote by? Yeah, take a look at this quote. This is by a pastor, Danny Akins. He said, James and John asked for the best seats in the kingdom. Bartimaeus, in radical stark contrast, has a much more humble request. He says, I want to see. James Edwards says it so well. The sons of thunder, James and John, asked for extraordinary glory. Bartimaeus asked for ordinary health. Look at verse 52. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Close your eyes. So this is what Bartimaeus saw, nothing. Have you ever wondered what it's gonna be like when you die and pass into glory? Have you ever thought, what's it gonna be like to see Jesus's face right in front of me, face to face? I think about all of our friends, a number of our friends who have died this last year, some from COVID, some from other things, who are now in the presence of the Lord beholding Jesus face to face. Jesus is before Bartimaeus. He's seeing what you're seeing, nothing. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Bartimaeus opened his eyes and the first thing he saw was the face of Jesus. The first thing he saw on this earth was the face of Jesus. You can open your eyes, imagine that, to see Jesus. The first thing in life, we take for granted everything that we see, but the first thing Bartimaeus saw was Jesus. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Jesus called faith out of his heart and he was healed. Janice Clark came up after the first service and her sweet mom, Sue, who was part of this congregation, sat right over here in this area, was blind. And Janice was just in tears. She said, I was just thinking about my mom who was blind. And when she went home to be with the Lord, she saw Jesus. I said, I've been thinking about your mom all week. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Go your way. And look what it says next. And he, Bartimaeus, recovered his sight and followed him, followed Jesus on the way. Never be surprised 
how the most forgotten, the most overlooked people, the most unlikely people will respond to the grace of God. He opened up his eyes. Jesus said, go your way. Bartimaeus gets on the road to Jerusalem with Jesus. Church history says that Bartimaeus followed Jesus to the cross, watched his resurrection, watched his ascension, became a vital part of the church in Jerusalem. Jesus' way became Bartimaeus' way. Isn't that our story? We're following Jesus wherever he leads us. Listen to the words of this song. Like a blind man who walks in the darkness, I had longed, I had searched for the light, Bartimaeus. Then I met the master. Now I walk no more in the night. For all things were changed when he found me. A new day broke out all around me. For then I met the master and now I belong to him. That's Bartimaeus' testimony. I met the master, now I belong to him. Jesus has a claim on our lives. He'll lead us where he wants to lead us. That may be a cup of suffering, a baptism of suffering, but he has claimed us. He has ransomed us. He took the suffering, the pain, the punishment, the wrath of God that we deserve. And now we're his, we belong to him. Since we met the master, we're no longer the same. Let's stand up. Don't put the rest of it on on the screen, Kathy. Just a couple points of application and then we wanna have a time of prayer. There's two things that I want you to think about as far as application. Don't hesitate to cry out to Jesus when something's going on in your life. In our community group on Wednesday night, we went through this passage. I fudged a little bit and kind of gave it a, gave it a you know, trial run. We read the scripture and I asked for input. I didn't tell any of, anybody what I was thinking. And we had such great comments about what was going on in this passage. Marta Sanchez, towards the end, she says, you know what I see? I see that Jesus stopped and ministered to a hurting person, a forgotten person. I said, that's what I'm preaching about Sunday. There's hurting people all around us. You may be hurting today. Don't hesitate ever to call out for the mercy of God. Number one, don't hesitate to go to Jesus for mercy. Hebrews 4 says we need to come boldly to the throne of grace, boldly to his throne to receive help and mercy in our time of need. So never hesitate to call out. Just like Bartimaeus, he called out to God. He knew he was in desperate need. If you're in desperate need, call out to God. Number two, look for the person who's in desperate need. They're all around us. They're all around us. Jesus ministers to people one at a time. 
So pray for people one at a time. Evangelize people one at a time. Clothe and feed people one at a time. Love people one at a time. Look for people in your life who are hurting and minister to them. Be an extension of the hands of Jesus one person at a time. I don't know where you're at today, but the Lord is here. He promises to be with us whenever we meet. His spirit is here. Jesus is stopping here today. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're a young person playing church. Maybe you're here because your parents brought you here. Maybe you didn't have any choice. I didn't have any choice. Every Sunday I was in church. I don't, maybe you've never received Jesus. Maybe you've never met the master. Maybe you've never believed in his name, repented of your sin, like I finally did that night. Maybe you've never received him as your savior and Lord. Maybe you're trapped in some terrible sin that you don't want anybody to know about, you don't want to admit. Maybe you're going through a very difficult family situation, maybe a health situation. I don't know where you're at, the Lord knows. He's stopping here today. We wanna take time and just pray for one another. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward, I'm just gonna ask you if something's going on in your life, if you're hurting, if you're in pain, if you need the master to turn his attention, his affection, his power on you, would you just raise your hand? so that we can pray just for each other. If you need prayer this morning, just raise your hand. Raise it so we can see. So I want you all to look around, just move to these people who have their hands up. So keep your hands up until someone comes around. Just look around and see if someone around you has their hand up. I'm gonna go back with Judy. And even though Judy is now trying to pray for someone else, I would like some folks to pray for us for a family situation. So just look around, make sure, you're, make sure there's nobody that has their hand up that doesn't have someone around them praying. And let's just pray. And maybe you were embarrassed to put your hand up. You just cry out to Jesus. Have mercy on me, Jesus. And let's pray for one another for just a little bit.
us to take some time and pray for those that are watching us online. Some of our members haven't been able yet to come back and be with us in person. And it's so good to be back in person. So back to be able to pray with one another in person. So I want all of us to thank the Lord for what he's done this morning, but also I want us to pray for our friends, our brothers and sisters who are at home watching. So let's take a moment and do that. So we love you at home. We look forward to the time that you're together with us and we want to pray for you this morning. Father, thank you for stopping, Lord Jesus, and being with us this morning by your spirit. Jesus, you are a wonderful Savior. Father, thank you for calling us to yourself. Salvation, Lord Jesus, is all of you. It's your work, Father. You call us to you. You draw us to you. Like blind Bartimaeus, open up our eyes and call us out of darkness into your wonderful light. Jesus, we owe everything to you. We pray for our friends at home who are watching my live stream. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to their hearts. Lord, that you would open their eyes, that you would heal their bodies, that you would heal and restore their lives. Strengthen them, Father. Jesus, thank you that you are our savior, you're our healer, you're our deliverer. Lord, you are establishing and will establish your kingdom forever, forever. Thank you for calling us to be a part of that. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Lord, bless each and every one of you. Sing about our Savior together. You are here, touching every heart. I worship you. Oh, I worship you. You are here. Healing every heart, I worship you. I worship you. You are here, turning lights around. I worship you. Oh, I worship you. You are here, mending every heart. I worship you, oh, I worship you, you are, oh, you are, way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, you are, you are. 
never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. 